welcome to this, another episode of Frame and Reference. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan, and you're listening to episode 124 with Ed Moore, BSC, the cinematographer of Apple TV's Hijack. Enjoy. Have you been watching anything cool recently? Well, I've been, um, what have I been watching recently? We just fit, we, we, um, I've just watched all of Better Call Saul because we like came to it like 10 years late. So we've just, oh, like, I feel like I've, I've experienced all of Better Call Saul in the last, um, um, <laughs> the last couple of weeks. So that's, that's been intense. It's been a fun show to watch. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just in, in prep on this, on this feature. So everything I'm watching is, uh, actually a movie magic schedule or a right. series of location photos. So yeah, my, my viewing is, um, has dropped right off. Like all of us, I've just got a incredibly long list. I feel guilty about the stuff I need to catch up on. All these, the sole top. That's the criteria. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, well, I think yeah, during lockdown, you know, till I stop, like I'm going to get through the BFI top 100 that I've never seen, and um, and then I watched YouTube videos of like people who's who are gonna like uh most of them's lawn for free and it's really really high grass yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, and then you got a deep dive of that and i'm like okay i guess i'm gonna like watch like kurosawa another time yeah. in my life um but yeah there you go i did I, it was funny during the lockdown the uh the or uh after um 9-11 food network saw a huge spike in people watching right. food network stuff because that's comfort food and the same thing happened during lockdown is all the food YouTube channels got a huge mm-hmm. bite. And then uh, the one that was funny to me was um, Bon Appetit, you know, the magazine. They had a YouTube channel. Okay. And that right. YouTube channel got like millions of subscribers. And everyone was all down with like this group of people. And then come out to find out like Condé Nast or whoever it was, like wasn't paying them. It was like okay. it was like a side project that just took off too fast. So right. they, they got like canceled immediately. <laughs> not the hosts but the you know the, the channel the whole the project the yeah. yeah that was a good time did you did you watch uh um uh breaking bad before like when it came out and then you just yeah about yeah ot breaking bad yeah for sure and then um yeah so it was fun to go back and like that they came up with such a kind of distinct visual language that is like then see often actually it's like it's you know it's beautiful you can see things and it's not in kind of stingy and gloom the entire time right. um, it has a real visual identity um yeah it's fun to watch it is an interesting show in the in the sense that like that was one of the first shows that i remember obviously outside of like hbo that really had like a quote-unquote cinematic look because everything else on television that was like really good looking felt like house mm-hmm. but still very yeah. good looking but not yeah movie I used to, for ages, I was kind of like obsessed with this sort of network TV style. Anything that did like 22 episode seasons and was shot in Vancouver or Toronto. Right. And like, uh, and they're amazing because, like, you know, the kind of schedules, I thought loads of TV drama and like, you know, I'm used to lots of, but like to be able to do like, you know, every, it was always like the key light for any female character was always clearly like, a 20 by 20 silk yeah. or something Ooh. and then you cut to the reverse of the guy and the guy was always cool chiseled hard light and like a real house style and it would be like whatever you could intercut all of the shows together and they would all look like they kind of from the same thing but it was but it was a real like high high end look just the same one but yeah. like, respect to pulling that out for 22 episodes every year yeah that was i was talking to the um the dp of uh was it joanna coelho maybe uh, DP of The Rookie, which mm-hmm. was uh, an ABC show. And I used to work for ABC, but I was in an office. And uh, I was like, and I knew kind of the corporate structure. And I was like, what, was there any mandates? And she, and she was kind of cagey about it, but basically was like, well, you do need to see both eyes and both eyes do need light. And I was like, and you know, yeah, yes, there's a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, the first like job I got as a like main unit DP was this um, comedy series. And um, like, you know, I didn't know a dwarf, but oh, it was actually before Red Dwarf. Um, I, I'd I'd operated on Red Dwarf, and then I and then as a result of that, I sort of, you know, cheated and lied my way into a, a lighting job um, on this show called Common Ground that I and I met with the producer, and they were like, 
oh, you know, it's going to be like 11 pages a day. And I was like, I don't know, it sounds whatever. Like, that's, I don't know. And, and she then she like looked me in the eye and was like, do not try and win a BAFTA on my show. <laughs> I was like, and I didn't. So, you know, you're welcome. You're uh, yeah, so that same thing of like, um, you know, oh, it's, if you can't see the eyes, it's not funny, which is probably news to everyone who does like radio comedy or funny podcasts. Uh, right. But uh, you have to see both the eyes for it to be funny. But yeah, I, it was... It's fun starting. I was I was pleased to have started my like DP career in comedy because you you like you have to work quickly, which is the the bread and butter of being a DP. Full stop. I think, and um, you know, anyone can do it nicely, but can you do it quickly and nicely? But in comedy, like the like any amount of kind of look and gloss you bring to it is like a bonus. Them, so they're so excited. Like right. you um make it look interesting as well. That is actually the, I'm giving away the cards a little bit, but uh, that is one of the number one questions I, I look forward to potentially asking is like, how do you, because a lot of shows, you know, it will, especially television, you're shooting however many episodes and mm -hmm. especially for the ones that look really good. It's like, how did you do that fast? Mm -hmm. Like I'm fast. Yeah, well, for sure. it, with your show, you had 110 days, which is wild for like, we'll get to that. But like, uh, mm -hmm. Uh, some shows, you know, where they're traveling all over the world, they're like, yeah, we had 40. You're like, well, how did you yeah. pull that off? Yeah, it seems kind of, yeah, it seems wild. And I, I, I'm i doing a feature now and it's, uh, what do we, like 37, I don't know, maybe less. I can't remember, it, but it's in the 30s. And uh, it's been so long since I did a feature. That I'm like, it seems like impossibly short. I'm like, well, I wouldn't even notice. Like, it's like. I won't even need to charge my phone during the rest of this this feature because the TV shows just become so long now, um, and especially on Hijack because because uh, I did, I did the lot like that's it's intense to be doing one thing for that long, right? And not have, uh, oh no, I actually know the answer to that. I didn't know when to spring this on you because uh, it's kind of nerdy, but all the fucking cards and stuff might give it away. Uh, <laughs> I, I very much look forward to whenever I get to talk to any Brits because nine times out of ten, they shot my favorite show, which is Doctor Who. Yeah, and uh, very proud about that. I want any stories, like, especially because you shot Day of the Doctor and Time of the Doctor, which were fantastic. Thank you. So yeah, well, so those Day of the Time of the Doctor, I I was. Uh, second unit DP. Hey, that's still metal. there. That's still there. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I take it. Yeah, well, so um, that was um, uh, so Neville Kidd was the DP. He's now done amazing work on shows like Altered Carbon, um, like Top Guy and Umbrella Academy. I think Neville's done. So he um, that. So um, I can't remember which one, but suddenly the so one of those was the was the one where it was do you remember the bit where we shot everything in 3d and it was going to become like the thing um yeah. so so uh one of those i think it was day of the doctor was the you know the anniversary special was in stereo mm. um so that was uh interesting to see so you know back that was you know alexa m's that no one remembers anymore in a like beam splitter rig you know and now we have the the venice which is basically yeah. Now it has an Alexa M you can't pull apart, or you right? Can't pull yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well. Even then, the Alexa Mini came out, and we we're like, "Oh, it's an Alexa M." They chopped the cable off. Um, yeah. It was still the same size. But yeah, that was that was super fun. Yeah, and I also was, and, and you know, a huge Doctor Who fan, and like all the kind of the Matt Smith um, years of Doctor Who were like my. You know, it has like a bond. Like I had a Doctor. I'm sure you yeah. you have the same. And and I was, you know, it was a. Um, you know, it was a goal of mine to to like you know one day light it. So so yeah, that was that was fortunate. And then um, I kind of you know that was but that was second unit. And then I went away and kind of gradually worked my way up the the main unit side. And then came back and I did uh, four episodes with Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. Yeah, um, a few years back. And yeah, it's just it's just a dream. Like I like really just you know there's not a you know sneakily. I feel like I'm, you know, like I'm. I'm no longer excited when I see like a technocrane or or whatever. But I was excited when I was on the TARDIS, like, yeah. <laughs> like taking sneaky pictures of myself. It's pretty special. Like it's been, it's such an institution. So to be a small part of that, we, I, and you'd see stuff like just lying around the studio, you'd be like, 
you know, some because the prop store there is is huge, and they'd be like plastic crates that are like spare TARDIS lights and stuff. Right. Well, it's just sitting right there, like. So yeah, getting through the day without just um, you're like, not going to miss that one. Really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they don't need it. And then we, so we, the, the one I did, well, one of the ones I did, we shot in Tenerife, uh, which doubled for Gallifrey, amongst other things. Um, and um, and we we took, you know, and we're like, other oh, TARDIS is going to materialize, like in Gallifrey, and then um, Jody, Jody's thirteen, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, yes. very yeah okay so uh yeah and then she like opened the um uh the TARDIS and you obviously you shoot the interior of the TARDIS back in Cardiff in Wales in the studio so you know I think I'd already shot that um shot with just like a dim down 10k Fresnel just directing her eyes with the depth of the real TARDIS behind I think it's on my website somewhere and then and then to go to Tenerife and shoot like the TARDIS materializing. We had the, the, um, the national park at Tenerife. It's just this amazing location. Um, and we had a, you know, crane set up and it was, it, we yeah, managed to persuade the AD to let me do it at sunset, the mansion lighting. And, uh, we, we'd be shooting other stuff all day. And the, and the guys had like taken the TARDIS out there and the crane was pre-rigged and we just turned them in a direct turn up at the last moment. And there was the TARDIS, which is, you know, obviously it's just actually like, five bits of wood right right pinned together by some you know prop guys but it's just sitting there with a little light flashing on top yeah it's pretty cool it's why we do it right it's i it two things about that show one i think it's the british version of uh uh what do you call it i keep trying to say game of thrones that's not right um fucking law and order because like anyone who works in new york you end up working yeah. on Law and Order in some right, capacity. right. They can't escape. Yeah, so yeah. there's that. But it's it's probably the most enjoyable sci-fi. There's a lot of amazing sci-fi television out there, but I think it's the one you can cost. Even if you don't enjoy that episode, or even if the Doctor's not your favorite, I think it's still enjoyable. You know, it's like pizza. It's like there's no bad pizza. You know, yeah. I think everyone. And when involved, it's great, it's amazing. Everyone involved has. Um, you're all sort of aware whether it's the various showrunners, you know, actors, crew. You're aware that sort of for a brief moment you're holding this sort of precious gem that is mm. mad and weird and not always pretty, but like interesting and is something that has been like treasured by just generations like of people. So to sort of, you know, and it's treated with such sort of, um, you know, deference and, and respect. And, and But I think it's, it, it, compared to, I mean, I'm a big sci-fi nerd, of course, um, but there's something about the lightness of the, the touch on Doctor Who that sort of, you know, stayed through. Like, it's gone pretty serious and it's always yeah. been scary. Um, um, but, like, it's it's just fun. Like, it's, you know, you, you, it's a license to tell stories in the, the you just wouldn't be able to fit into many other genres um and um you know i'm delighted that it's and it's now i need to catch up on the on the new ones but that's now been lent a whole new lease of life um now it's sort of co-production um yeah. and um yeah from from what i understand it's it's remarkable you know they 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 keep coming up with great stories for these char- for this character, and um, yeah, it's exciting to see. Yeah, the uh, me and my girlfriend do the same thing. We're trying to speed through. We're about halfway through Jody's season uh, okay. t- to try to get to the so we can watch the specials. Yeah, yeah. As the news okay. started. Yeah, yeah. Great. I was Matt Smith was also well. Technically, it was uh, David, but. Matt uh-huh. Smith was when I was in college. Matt Smith was like my doctor, and then I when that season ended, I was like, I just met like especially at the end of Matt's. This is going to be a Doctor Who podcast now. Especially at the end of Matt's uh, Matt's tenure, it it astounded. I was like, this man just spent like a thousand years in purgatory. Essentially, wouldn't he be pissed off? And then the next generation is uh, is twelve, and I was like, yeah, there he is. And that was like my yeah, yeah, favorite. It makes sense. Oh my god, I love yeah. that so much. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I loved all the stuff with the War Doctor, and that was such a great thing with John Hurt. Like that was really cool. Um, um, yeah, it's just fun. I, I was also, I mean, the Master stuff. Like, um, 
you know, a Rory, like when he's like became a centurion and guarded the whatever it was called, yeah. com. Um, so it's like, whoa, that's hard. Like he was there for like two thousand years. Um, that's intense, but yeah, but it's always been it's traded well in that stuff. It does like it does awe, and it also does slapstick. Like there's there's not that many things that combine, you know, all of that stuff in one show. Yeah. So that we'll we'll make this uh, worth people's uh, free dollar. Um, <laughs> what was the sort of uh, did they kind of have like a lookbook that you had to sit with, um, and was that different between Jody's season and, and the sort of the specials, or or were you kind of allowed to do what you wanted? Oh, I think they, um, you know, all, all the episodes are obviously you have your sort of home base sets and things that that are sort of lit. Um, not that you you can't change it. I mean, we did some kind of like scary TARDIS stuff where the master's kind of getting his fingers into the system, and we we mix it up in there. But like you know, by and large, all the adventures are in in by their own nature fantastical and in different places and and stuff. So you get some, you know, it's it's a treat. Like um, one of the episodes I did was when I don't want to spoilers. It's been out for a while, but you know, they go to a ap- apocalyptic you know planet and it turns out to be earth um but like that was super fun um you know we we had all kinds of like crazy some of that was tenerife we had um in fact the the tenerife stuff it was meant to be a um you know we went there because we wanted like you know the canary island sun we were shooting in like early january and it was we needed like a, a sun blasted planet because humans in the future like you know we destroyed the um environment and um so we went out there for that to the kind of volcanic mountains and um uh, we built the they built this amazing sort of six-wheel truck thing out there and exploring we got there entire islands completely covered in cloud like this is completely thick as far as that and 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 so we're 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 just sitting on the top of this mountain being like this jody's like i can't say this this makes no she's got like dialogue with me like Look at the way they, they, you know, the humans have destroyed the environment, and all you could see is scorched earth, and you literally couldn't see like you know two feet in front of you. Right. So the producer is like running down the hill to find phone signal to call back to Chris Chibnall, being like, "We need to change the dialogue." So it's like, look at the, uh, in, you know, toxic gases, smoke, yeah, and so on. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, there's a bit of, of ducky diving, but no, I mean, in terms of look, like. You know, I think it just inherently like it's in your blood. Like it's it, it you know, you know Doctor Who. Um, so it's just it's a fun toy box to to play in. Um, the crews, you know, the camera crew on that had done it for many years. The lighting crew as well, and things. So they can kind of help you, but like you're painting in broad strokes, and and you're very aware that you're following in the footsteps of just like a you know just a long history of of brilliant dps who've done it before so yeah it's fun to just add a little mark to the bottom of the the tapestry yeah make seven metaphors yeah i got to interview the uh costume designer for like the first three seasons and then she moved on to i believe it was game of thrones or no it was the witcher um and then uh a dp from the uh well a couple of different seasons but um the person I'm thinking of did uh, the Eccleston season. And uh, I I was like, that must have been a strange... Or no, the, the one straight after the Eccleston season. I was like, that must have been a strange um, change to go from like weird theatrical backlighting of just purple. Like mm-hmm. there's like a purple parkan just in the shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in there. <laughs> to, yeah. I guess, Matt Smith, which was very like polished up. Yeah, well, the Matt Smith box where they... Yeah, well, that was um, they uh, they went on to the the, the short lived Sony F thirty five and yeah. suddenly everything still was, a great team. You know, yeah, blurry backgrounds and um, uh, yeah, and big sky panels, top lights and things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, blurry backgrounds and sky panels. So that era was upon us, and um, yeah. yeah. Going back to the, I mean, because it, it, I, I assume Doctor is kind of the same, but you, the initial question I had before I got super distracted, which was. What did uh, comedy shooting and I suppose Doctor Who to a degree teach you about moving quickly? Like, were there any kind of uh, tricks that you picked up that allowed you to get like a, let's say, a high budget look in a in a fast environment? Well, I think it's um, yeah, I, I, it's it's great like that because it it, it concentrates your mind on like. 
I, this sounds reductive, but like if you if just in TV world, like if you're not completing the call sheet, there's sort of just there's no point. There's like table stakes, so you have to get through the stuff, and then I think it, in, and then it's on you, like as you know, with your with the artist side of your job rather than just the sort of like facilitator. And th- then it's like, well, what, how can I get, you know, what I, how can I offer more creatively in into this? Um, but like that that metronome is constantly ticking and and um you know i i think that's that it, it's helpful to learn in those conditions i so compare it to like you know um you know people learn to play the guitar it's like you can either kind of like spend ages trying to get your fingers onto the right place before you strum or you just always keep strumming and like if your your fingers have to figure it out right and and that that's a better way to learn because eventually you know they they, they go oh okay crap we've got to do this um so i i do i do really believe that the basic tenets of like making a you know a beautiful like lighting on on, on a person or a scene like are not that difficult like if you you know the kind of the core skill is like at least pre-visualization you should be able to sort of you know know the statue inside the block of marble before you start chipping away um that comes first um but l- like the 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 you know the ingredients that make something look um appealing or, or interesting or most importantly like um fit the, the way the story feels and the characters feel like are not that difficult but like doing it doing like 10 strips a day like that and with location moves is harder so you learn um i i, I you know years before i'd, I'd done theater lighting as just like a you know when i was 15 i was doing follow spots and theater stuff and then in theater lighting you're lighting a space you know you're never lighting a shot there's either the shot is the proscenium arch or whatever and everything has to happen within that so i i guess i came into tv in film lighting with a little bit of that mentality so i you know i try and like spaces and environments more than shots and um that keeps the equipment out the way um it tends to look more natural anyway and then you you know you're in a good position to tidy up a little bit for close-ups but on top of an environment that um that exists so you know i've tried to keep in with that um that you know as a general rule i want the um obviously i want it to look the you know beautiful and interesting but it's more important to me that the the actors and the directors have have space to work you know if they if they are if I'm hampering them, then I think it's the, you know, the the cart leading the horse a little bit. Is that the right expression, or a tail wagging the dog? Certainly, like it's we're we're, we're there to we're there to capture the performances, and um, like it's my job to support the performances and, and photography that sort of you know amplifies them and, and seats them in the story the director's trying to tell. Um, so you know, and, and occasionally I think that you know I, the pendulum swings too far for me and i and i feel like oh, i just i i pulled my punches slightly and, and i need to stand up for myself a little bit more and be like guys just let's pause let me just get this and you have to and the you know as the years have gone on i've i've realized you know more when the the opportunity you know when i need to do that you yeah. um because yeah just you, no one's there in the grade you know no one's there when the show goes out looking at kind of like a slightly mediocre shot and being like hey but like we wrapped 15 minutes early after that like you know so so there's that like it's you you can't go that far um but also if you just if you're constantly you're taking so long lighting that you're not really turning over till like two hours into the day or or you're just you people are only getting a couple of takes and then that's not serving anyone and in the uk um where i've you know mostly worked you know we don't have the same length of hours that tends to happen in u.s shooting like we're pretty much like 10 hours on camera and um i'm very aware that of that time what the the directors actually if you if the directors had like a you know chest stop stopwatch and you know measured the time that the the directors actually have to work to do their thing to you know that no one is telling them we're just setting this up we're just moving this or there's a car coming through or we're waiting for the actor that comes from the trailer or whatever they really have maybe like two hours of that 10 hours to actually a thing. And I just, you know, I, I think it's on me and the other heads of department to try and extend that and, and not get, you know, not put our stuff in the way of, of giving them that time. Yeah. I was talking to 
one of uh, Fincher's DPs. It was either Eigel or Messerschmitt, but uh, uh-huh. he was saying that they, the the mandate was that the camera department, the camera equipment had to fit in a sprinter van and they had to be ready yeah. to go in 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just like, I'm not, pl- well, we're not playing this game. We're just going to fucking yeah. shoot it. Like, <laughs> oh man. Well, I was lucky enough to hang out with Eric Messerschmitt recently. Ooh. We were both um, on a panel at a, uh, a film festival and um yeah i mean it's just a joy um he's an extraordinary dp and an absolutely lovely guy but i i love this finch i mean i you know fincher i'd like i i think i would be kind of scared to work for but like he's you know he's a remarkable filmmaker and i i love the um you know the social network making of is still like one of the greatest film schools you can um absolutely <laughs> and i really remember like I, I remember watching years ago, and there's like, and it's like day one. The sh- social network had like been just walking on the set, and the and and they're discussing the first scene, and like the boom guy is like saying something, and Finch is like, "This is the last time I ever want to see you." Like, you know, it, it, there should be no reason why we ever like the boom guy's like, "Maybe you can pay me out, and I could be here or whatever." And he's like, "No, that's yeah. not what we're doing." Like, and I I do think that you know there is um you know without sort of touching on um you know personalities and stuff i always respect it when people are just like unwilling to to let things slide be like no no wait because actually like on a film production like so many people like want you to move i mean i i take want you to move on want you to say it's fine i tasted a tiny bit of this on hijack actually because i ended up directing sort of second unit stuff or or um you know, picking up a few elements here and there. And some of it was like quite big sequences with, and one of it happened to be like the last day. Mm. And the, and the, and the entire unit is like, like it, it was really interesting, like just feeling for a moment, being the shoes of the director and just feeling everyone wanting you to say, yeah, it's great. Move on. Right. And, and you just, and you have to be like, no, it's, it's not, we're all here. Everything is, we will never be in a more perfect situation to get it better than right now. So let's do it. And and actually, people respect that. People want they the set needs that voice. They want someone to just be like, let's get it right. And and as long as you're not you know an ass about it, then people will respond to that. Um, and it just encourages people to deliver when you know that there's just no chance someone's going to be like, oh, okay, whatever, that'll do. You know, no. so it's. Well, it's, it's, you've kind of strung together like the, uh, the sort of spectrum of what I'm thinking of, which is the, at at the first point you've got, oh no, I spent too much time talking. Shit. (laughs) Uh, Um, no, I was was saying, I forgot, I forgot what the first one was, but, uh, so there's the element of standing up for yourself and figuring out like where, when and where you're able to do that. The first feature I was ever on, I didn't do that. And I was the second unit DP. And I fucking should have, or even just making suggestions. They're like, here's our gear list. And I was like, I could bring some stuff, but I was like, they know better than me. And it's like, why did I do that? Like, I know, I know better than me. Like I should have mm-hmm. said something, not that the final product really suffered in aggregate, but, um, but to your point about the, the guitar analogy, like if, if you spend so much time trying to make it perfect, it'll never be perfect, but you've got the rest of the crew. You got your production designer, your customer, you've got the editor, the colors that can, if you keep playing, you know, if you miss a note, you've got everyone else to kind of pad that, uh-huh. um, pad that song as it were, pad the scene. Um, yeah. And then finally fi- uh, figuring out when to let go <laughs> when it's, you know, when, when yeah. enough becomes the enemy of, uh, yeah, for sure. And it's interesting sometimes when, because it's easy to see in, you know, in your own team, like sometimes you know, it's common for focus for us to be like, oh God, we have to go again. We have to go again. And, and because there's like a buzz in a bit, because we're, when uh, uh, pitching on the focus pillar, you know, just because it's a, a good example of something where you're so focused on a particular aspect of it that sometimes you, you don't see the woods for the trees and someone could, you know, you can have like Meryl Street absolutely knock out the entire set is like in tears. And the focus pillar is like, that's that take might as well just drag that straight to the freaking bin. There's no right. point. Um, so sometimes, um, uh, yeah, and then sometimes it's like Oppenheimer and the guy's ears, you know, the only thing in focus for, for half the scene. Um, but yeah, like, but I see it in my own thing sometimes where, you, you know, 
it, because it, it, it's such a long process from like you read a script and you have an inkling, oh, I got a cool lighting thing I could do on this scene. And, and then you sit and you gradually are working your way through like getting the right kit you need to do that on the list, seeing the location, seeing it again, persuading the director and doing it on set. And then it doesn't quite work. And, and it's all you, your brain is just bit at that point has become like so narrow on this one thing. Um, and, um, and, and, and that's a trap, but, um, you know, it can also be a, a huge, um, you know, boon to, to sort of be the, have the attention to detail on one thing. And, um, as you say, it's like, you know, I'd well to, to, to borrow a spiral tap phrase. It's such a fine line between clever and stupid. Yeah. Um, sometimes you, sometimes you've got to hold out for it. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. Well, the only way to figure it out is to keep working, but I think that's mm-hmm. the hard part is just not being so precious with your work that, um, yeah, keep it moving. And, and that's the difference. Like, you know, I think between, um, you know, commercials work and, and drama is that like, you know, commercials, um, you know, you just work over and over the, the, you know, 10 or so frames you've got and, and everyone is like, you know, how can we prove this? How can we prove this? And like, you know, drama, it's just impossible to, to, to keep that up. There's just, it's a marathon, not a sprint. There's going to be some frames that are not like your super fave, um, there's going to be one of those actors that's going to get themselves against the wall, the color of like, you know, pale, right. sallow flesh. And um, uh, there's going to be nothing you can do. And you're going to be like, oh, maybe the colorist will save me. Um, that's just the, the nature of it. So, um, but if that actor is just breaking everyone's heart over there, then that's going in the movie. And that's the job. Yeah. Yeah. The I, don't know, I think that's the hard thing is DPs too. It's like, you got to, Younger DPs, I should say, or like newer DPs is like the, the acting is the most important part. That's why anyone's there. They're not there to see your cool backlight or your sweet anamorphic flair. So you, you got to make sure that that gets preserved more than anything. And then, well, I think it's, you know, you're the custodian, aren't you? Like you're, you're, you know, you're holding that, that slaying for the director. And, and, you know, also like it, you know, it should be said, if not you, then, then who? Like, you know, nobody else on that set is sticking up for the look of the movie. Um, yeah. everyone's going to be happy to take credit for it. If you, if you like win some awards or something and be like, oh yeah, no, of course we were all really behind. We were behind Kenny when he like, you know, held out for that, right. you know, we're only shooting this magic hour or whatever. Um, everyone will suddenly be like, I'm taking credit but um uh yes it, it, it's um it, it takes a while before you know like you know where to push it yeah so with oh man a great transition ken uh so with hijack <laughs> you had uh a lot of the fil- uh show in in a tube and sure. kind of going to our idea about moving quickly and stuff but also protecting the um performances how how did you keep, did you focus on trying to keep that set interesting in some way? Because in one way, it's a very stylized look to the show, but in another way, it's incredibly natural looking. Um, and it, it's it's very fascinating how you were able to um, toe that line between like, you know, I don't know, Jason Bourne, I don't know what you want to call it, and which could just be the grade and uh, a very like clean look. It's not dark and, you know, m- m- um muddy it's it's incredibly clean and sharp and contrasty and yet still natural well thanks um and and, and thank you for acknowledging the tube um because i i <laughs> i i went from hijack directly onto silo another show set entirely in tube, you. orientated in a different so i'm waiting to complete my trilogy maybe a submarine or something diagonal I told my agent, like, yeah, or maybe just a costume driver set entirely outside. But yeah, yeah, yeah sure. I, well, and thank you for your for your kind words. And it would be, you know, yeah. What do you do when you're in one precinct for for that long? I mean, I'd say probably 85 percent of the show is on that plane. But, and that was the, you know, and in real time, right? For people that don't, right, right. Um, yeah, and it's a a world that we've all been in like everyone's been on a long plane it's not a uh, it's not a it's not the TARDIS it's not a spaceship where you can do cool whatever things like you have to it the, the show was never going to work unless you it was sort of at least you know the, the the cinematography and the sort of the setting the production design was kind of like the straight man as it were like it had to be it had to be like this is it we're like we're in this is real um and um 
you know, the nature of the things were happening were obviously heightened and 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 so the cinematography, you know, had to also feel that way. Um, but it, it, we we never want and Jim Phil Smith um right from the start was like, you know, this can't feel like the um this is not like the euphoria of hijack, you know, this is right. we we this is not that like this is um the camera needs we need to feel as the audience in this pressure vessel with these people um there's no escape there's no we both i think really early um well jim probably felt this from the second he came up with the project and, and then he let me pretend like i thought of it later on as well good idea ed yeah i've been prepping this for a year yeah um, but yeah we're like let's let's never take a wall out let's never take chairs out let's um let's let's make it really uncomfortable for for the for the being the operator to sort of get the camera where we want because you know it just if as soon as you get into that we talk about the network tv look as soon as you get that thing where you're feeling like huh, we're sort of on a 75 mil, there's no wall here. Like, we're clearly the cameras are like, I think whether or not you work in TV, you feel that um, that, that disconnect. Um, so, um, yeah, and then, in, you know, in terms of lighting, you know, it, it's it's back on some of the, the topics we've hit already. You need to be able to work quickly. There are, a, a, you know, our, we were delivering, you know, 35 setups a day, um, you know, pretty frequently on that, um, you know, and so to be able to work at that pace with a, an aircraft that was loaded with 30 speaking roles, like a further hundred supporting artists, um, that you, you're seeing in all directions very frequently, like, you know, Jim, we, you know, we wanted to do lots of sort of, um, you know, moving camera storytelling up and down the lengths of the entire aircraft. Right. So it had to be, you know, I had to come up with a lighting design that was going to, enable me to um to you know quickly shape a look and uh you know i think it's you know it's now very common to have a, you know a lighting programmer I, it was i i i because i came from theater that's always been my thing about having sure. someone you know from that world it was crazy to me when i first started and i was like wait what what are these metal things you put in the light to dim it this is insane yeah. um and uh, also why do you clip the gels on the outside of the barn door like the gels go in the front uh, right. anyway um but so, so yeah we had i think six thousand control channels of lighting on that aircraft um uh ziggy jacobs a, a just genius desk op who's who i've worked with many times and she comes from um, you know, the world of live events at opera where they're like, this is like a pathetically small number of fixtures. But it meant that we were able to, you know, wherever the cameras were pointing, you know, quickly control, you know, contrast ratios, try and get a um, a kind of a look into it. And um, uh, yeah, and the other thing that, you know, when we started prepping, I was like, oh, at least, you know, obviously we'll make it so the plane is... Um, has like a sunset and a sunrise or whatever during the journey. No, that's not how the timing of the scripts work. They are in like full daylight the entire journey. Um, right. They're they're flying east to west, so that you know the sun basically doesn't move. <laughs> I actually I did the flight. Thanks, scriptwriter. To- <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Um, but I was like, you know, it, it it was, but it was kind of a, an advantage because. Um, we we couldn't move the set. Um, it was just too too long a shoot to put the whole thing on on hydraulics or anything. Right. Um, we did a little bit for the the flight deck, but I was like, okay, we need to have a sense of movement in the plane, and I want to have like that that thing we're all familiar with, where you have the harder source like that's kind of almost annoying, and it's tracking through the cabin as the plane rolls. Uh, right. So I ended up building the whole set and the whole studio actually in, in blender and 3d and like playing around and i i wanted to I'd, I'd done plain stuff before but like you know you tend to have like smaller sets that are like 20 rows deep or whatever um for kind of doing like a scene here and there and um you know like a lot of dps i've played with this where you put like a 20k on a camera crate and you swing it around and you get different stuff but the trouble with that approach is you you know you have a single source not that far from the set and then the the, the angle of the beams changes throughout the set and you sort of give away that your your uh sun is is 30 feet outside the window and and not one one astronomical unit away no. um so i was like okay we need parallel beams and so parallel beams equals one one light source per window 
Oh, so we had seven, 75 windows down one side. Fortunately, only one side because the aircraft was always heading in the same direction. Um, so I found the brightest moving headlight I could, which was like the Roby. concert lights. Um, yeah, Roby BMFL, which uh, I thought it was BFML, which I kind of assumed was a big fucking moving light, but right. it's not that. Um, but this was a like a discharge light. Um, they were kind of messy and old, and we had to every day, it's like you had to like change the level of green to comp, you know, out of all of them. But we had, um, th- they were the brightest light that I could get with the smallest um, edge to edge width because the spacing of these windows was like 55 centimeter centers. Right. So I needed something that I could fit 75 of these in a row on one huge truss. Okay, next problem, we need to move the truss up and down um, smoothly. So not like standard, like right motors. So um, I found this system, this Kinesis system, which is um, kind of a, a little bit more like motion controly. You know, it's for like super clubs where they have animated truss moves. Um, and um, and so, you know, that gave us the, the truss moving up and down so that we could m- make the light change. But okay, now we all are moving lights and they're pointing at the studio floor and then they're pointing over the top. So um, uh, Ziggy... And I gave this problem to Ziggy. I was like, you need to get this thing to talk to this thing. So yeah, eventually she, she um, with the aid of like 12 computers, which she translated one thing to another, as the truss moved up and down, this thing was like I think, 80 meters long, weighed three tons, and it had 70, 75 of these moving lights on. Um, as it moved, it would, it would tell her lighting desk like it's this height and then it would map the tilt angle on the fixtures so that the, they would all tilt through. Um, so it was like a lot of work and it was obviously very expensive and I had to sort of persuade a lot of people that it was going to be worth it. Like yeah. when, we, when we finally fired up and, and you saw this like, you know, you sit in the set and you'd see all those like window-shaped lights just sort of move through the thing your brain just goes, oh, I know this. I, I've seen this. Like, you know, on a million flights, it's like we're turning into LAX. It's like the last, you know, the last bit of this flight. It's such a sort of like, um, you know, you're like a visceral gut level. You're like the plane's moving. Um, I was super, super happy with it. And it just, it, it gave me it, like the, the, the discharge lights spotted right down. We had to shutter them all off each window so you, they never spilled into the next one. Uh, if anyone's wondering, hey, but how do you do like turning left and right? I didn't do that. That was right. too complicated. It was impossible to do left and right. Uh, we'd have had to track the entire truss left and right. Um, it, would, or it was already costing a fortune. Um, but the rolling worked super well. And um, uh, we, you know, having the super hard um, discharge source coming through and just letting that be like, you know, four stops over gave a really good like was you know way to build an exposure off because you're just used to that in a play you're used to there being just bits that are like annoyingly bright um yeah. obviously i played the angle of the sun lower than it kind of would be because it's more fun to see it yourself are all backlit um right. but um so yeah and, and then you know so there are there are the entire show that truss is moving slightly to sort of in cruise mode and then there are moments where it's turning rolling more um in bigger moves some more of which i would have liked to have ended up um you know uncut apart in the, right. in the final show but i i do I, you know i i think it um it's it's in there and it's giving you this subconscious sense of this this aircraft's on the move and it helped for the cast as well you know i think the when we loaded everyone in for the first time or we're playing this stuff and they're seeing the we had virtual production screens outside with um, clouds and stuff and you're, and you're feeling this thing. You could, you know, when we started the first big move, people were like, whoa, okay, you're moving the set. And so, you know, I think that helps the performances. That's Absolutely. Well, and, I, and uh, I've always wondered if like the virtual production people get kind of ill when uh, the if they're looking at, you know, if they're, if they're looking at where the camera box is like mm-hmm. moving around, but being in an airplane with the lights moving way worse. Cause you, it's yeah. like, a, it's like memory colors, right? You know where that's going. Whereas you can, yeah, yeah. So surreal. Wall. I mean, particularly like the, um, you know, I did some, I just did like screen recording, like as it happens, I'm a huge flight sim nerd. Um, as later, you know, this is a, so this is fun in yeah, that way. The, but I like, 
I'd already I have all the things, all the yeah. controls. Like I stopped playing with it for a year. I've got to say, for some reason, it was uh, like I got it out of my system once we shot this. But I'd like I I recorded. Um, I just did screen recordings and fights in with like the takeoff from Dubai and the you know the graphics and fights and now crazy yes, and pulls it all from everything and. And we played that like looking out the window, and I've got some like you know video on my phone as the um, a camera focus pillar. Jason just sitting sitting there as like Dubai just took off, and the lights went by. We were just like, this is so cool. Like you know, you feel like you sort of you've created like an illusion. Like it's, yeah. um, you feel like you're working for you know Imagineering suddenly, uh, rather than just you know doing a TV show. I wonder if you guys are you guys like. Maybe not the first, but do you, do you think you're kind of like near the first people to do that? Because I don't, I don't know how many people are using virtual production. I would always say, I would have to say the first. Well, I mean, I, Eric Messerschmidt did um, did a whole a whole movie um, uh, with Devotion. I th- oh yeah, that's a good point. I got it wrong. I have uh, actually weirdly we, we were you know we. Um, uh, so I don't know about first, but like certainly I think we're the. I would be surprised if anyone has filmed longer on an aircraft than than uh, right. we have for anything. And you know, there's been features, and you know, we'd watched, you know, we watched United ninety three, we watched uh, Air Force while well, we watched all the things you would think of, and um, you know, there was there was a sort of you know there were things we liked, things we snakes on a plane. But- I'm sure snakes on the plate was our main one yeah that was just the just like create just the base creative vibe of snakes uh-huh. on the plane yeah she i think it's obvious to anyone who's seen hijack it's the juice um but um uh they uh they all offer stuff but just like for, for just sheer number of shots like on a plane i i, I feel i'm fairly safe that i like no one has been crazy enough to just if there's an angle on an airliner that, that I haven't done, I would be surprised. At yeah. stage. Well, part of me is wondering, like, you know, the uh, I'm going to say something after we uh, get off, but uh, okay. I was for for some reason or another, I was watching Interstellar, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, the uh, nope, already lost it. Fuck! Now that's dumb. <laughs> now, now that's dumb. I'll just I'll just say it. In two hours, I'm interviewing Hoida. Um, okay, that's pretty cool. So we'll get, we'll get, if you want to ask him anything, let me know before we go. Um, but, uh, can I have your career? Uh, yeah. are you using your career? Can I borrow it for a bit? Something yeah. Like um, <laughs> but the, uh, all the plane stuff was cool, but, oh, oh, oh. So in, in Interstellar, they, um, you know, when they were designing the, uh, black hole, the wormhole that ended up being like a scientific paper. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if all that work that Ziggy did, did getting all of the computers to talk to each other and all the lighting rigs mm-hmm. to, I wonder if that could become a paper because I can't even get two Excel sheets to talk to each other. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I was, I mean, we kept, um, you know, it was a, it was a show for, for Apple and uh, there were a whole bunch, like one of the key components of that um, system was some like really cool, like indie software that an, an Apple developer has written. That was at the heart. Oh. Of it. So like every time, um, uh, some of the like Apple, um, you know, press team or things were there, I was like, you guys like, look at this, it's like Apple stuff. It's cool. Uh, and they were like, no, we kind of like, you know, Idris Elba and, uh, like, him Oh, do you? <laughs> I was like, are you sure this software is kind of, um, I, I, you know, I think with the right Apple audience, they would have been into the, lighting software but yeah i mean it's you know when all that works for the first time like see yeah we're we're high-fiving because it was like like it's one of those things where you go like intellectually that should be fine like but then the number of like technical hurdles that you've got to overcome to to kind of get it all working and then for it to just kind of work flawlessly for um for for 110 days it's pretty special right well um i just yesterday interviewed uh the dp of Lessons in Chemistry, or one of them, uh-huh. uh, which is a different Apple show. And I asked them this, and I, and I want to ask you, does, because obviously certain studios are more hands-on than others, was there any kind of creative input from Apple, or were they just kind of there to help facilitate whatever you needed, to do? apparently computer-wise? I didn't even think about that. but Because I mentioned this to him, and, and he respectfully disagreed, and then I came onto his side, which was all the Apple shows 
look the look the same is what I said initially. But what <laughs> what I really meant was not like ABC shows, but like look the same in the sense that apparently AB, um, Apple is just picking really high quality work. Like they all look the same in that they all look really good. And my brain yeah, I'll go that too. Good recovery. They all look no the good same. recovery. <laughs> well, it's your yeah, show I mean, especially doesn't, but or Silo for that. Uh, I yeah, I mean that I yeah, obviously I think they all, they they all operate in their distinct sort of um, you know creative creations. Um, I think that they um, you know how much dealing did I have directly with them? I mean, they, they they only want quality. Like their brand is about like super high end quality and just you know the sort of whole it just works for all. So like. It's, you know, and, you know, we're all aware that like, you know, the Apple TV stuff is, is kind of like a, even though it's this, it's all these big budget shows, it's a drop in the ocean compared to the, the other parts of the company. So that I think there is, um, or, or, or certainly like I, I felt like, you know, this, the show's are an extension of the brand in the sense that like you just expect you want to like if you go into an apple store to buy whatever like you just have assumptions about how that is going to work and feel and present itself and it's the same with the shows and i think they um you know take a great deal of care in how they pick and support and develop projects and they you know stuff just doesn't get to this this stage unless it's you know they, they have um super good feeling about it um you know, they were, um, you know, like, you know, exactly like the other big studios and streamers, the, you know, specific producers and production execs and things always, you know, they, they want you, want and expect you to present your ideas, you know, they, but they, you know, you sort of already pass the hurdle by being hired in the first place because right. it's hard to get hired on these shows. Um, you know, so they, 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 they want and can expect the best, you know, they, um, they can kind of get whoever they want. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think they, I think that's a good way of saying it, that they are united in quality. There's, there's nothing bad looking on the platform. Um, and they don't, you know, they, they've got no interest. I, I think in just sort of like, you know, putting a ton of content up, like they'll put stuff up when they think it's good. And, yeah. Yeah, and that's like why wouldn't you want to work for a company like that like it's just the the interest is in quality so well fun. and i think that's kind of the this this is a half-cooked idea because of the implications of online like uh having everything on one network like we used to do with netflix but like i feel like that's kind of the future is like it's a better i compare it to the criterion streamer which is like it's curated right it's easier to go on apple or I guess in a way Disney plus, cause it's, you know, that's pretty curated, but there's just a lot of it. Um, or criterion, which is you turn it on and there's maybe 50, a hundred things you can pick and they're all good mm -hmm. versus like old school Netflix or even current Netflix to a degree. Nope. No shade on Netflix, but there's just a lot of stuff on there. Uh, and you turn it on and you're just inundated with so much choice that you end up going like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to watch TikTok. you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, no, no, it, it it's true. Like, then I think you've just got, you know, if you're just going to randomly, like, hold down, you know, right on the controller and just press select on on um, the Apple platform, like, you've got a really good chance of, of watching a quality piece of work, for sure. Yeah. I did want to ask, uh, how did you, this is a slight pivot, but um, I, uh, I have the uh, Preserving the Vision book. Oh, sure. And uh, I was wondering how you, uh, how'd you get into the BSC? uh well i mean now in retrospect I'm like a wow i was i was lucky to get in um yeah so i was in a 2018 um and and you know it's this I, I can't remember where we're up to now there's you know on average the bsc is about 100 full members at any time and um you know it's something to aspire to and i think you know as we'd all seen those initials after people's names you're like what does that mean and you, you go on that journey you know and you sit in as, as a you know when you're in the industry initially like you, you work on a job with sort with a bse person you're like oh my god oh it's like a bit of awe but, which immediately evaporated for me the second i got in it's like right, sort right. of grouch of our saying i want to be a club that didn't have me as a member it's um, like getting in the magic like, yeah i mean 
Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so, um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I, the Magic House and the BSC, very similar. Super but, similar. I mean, so it's, yeah. A bunch <laughs> of nerds standing in a room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, being like just slightly snippy about a nerd who everyone perceives to be doing slightly too well for the right, record. right, yeah. right. Um, right. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just the same. And the so the BSC, uh, a, a brilliant uh, DP, Nigel Walters, was, was kind enough to nominate me. And you have to be um, uh, nominated and seconded and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and you. Uh, have to send in stuff. And I really like this. Like you send in like ten minutes of of stuff, but it has to be like sort of unedited. Basically, you can't mm-hmm. do like snippy snippy show reels. You have to send sort of excerpts. And uh, I can't remember if I got in on the first time, or the second time. I feel like it was this. I can't remember. I think that there was. I was steered away the first time, and then the second time. Um, uh, yeah, I got I got that call. I was on set um, shooting. Um, a show called The Feed, and we we're just about to start this like long, exhausting night shoot. And I got the call from Nigel to say, um, "Yeah, you've you've given the thumbs up." And and now I know a bit more, seen it from the other side. Like you know, the BSC is picky. Like you know, you you it takes a while for your name to be to sort of work its way in, and then um, uh, you know, the the I, I haven't um, uh, been able to to help out with the sort of selection panels so far. So it's been working on something when it's come up but like you know they they, they discuss the, the work in great detail and sort of go over stuff so it's um um yeah it's been a real treat like but the bsc has always sort of invited you know the 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 events and dinners and stuff um i've been along to beforehand so it sort of knew a, a load of the people and um you know i i would love to just be contributing more to the society to be honest i'm so proud of, of being a member uh i you know i now have two kids and i'm like working all the time so uh like i need to fit it in but like it it's so fun it's just nice to to have a, a thing where it's everyone you know everyone in the organization shares the same issues that you do and the same sort of hopes and dreams and stuff like to even be in the same organization as like you know roger deakins john matheson and stuff and and um you know that's pretty extraordinary. I did go to the, um, you know, there is a thing about the BSC which is, you know, it's also slight, it's very British. It can sometimes feel like a sort of golf club meeting. And um, uh, I remember the one time I was uh, at MBS uh, Lighting very kindly invited me to the ASC Awards, and mm-hmm. um, uh, it just had the hilarious like additional level of. Of glam and pizzazz that uh, that you guys do so well. I guess I was sitting in a you know first of all it's in this gigantic thing. I think just you know down the road from the Magic Castle. Yeah, and you would literally see it from the clubhouse. Yeah, right. And and um, we um, we're in this huge venue, and um, uh, I was like on on some table at the edge, and the you know the award started. Like Maddie Liebertick was presenting, and he has like. You know, as he's doing like sort of like late night TV level like gags and like everyone's, you know, there's like back and forth, there's amazing AV and um, then the, the they're like, okay, to present the first award, there's like so many awards. The first award was like best cup of tea made by a camera trainee on like right. a low budget documentary set in like Wisconsin. And they're like, to present this award. Samuel L. Jackson, right? <laughs> you know, and then yeah. Sam Jackson, and then it, it only went up from there. And I was like, "Wow!" Like these guys, like do like you know, it helps being in Hollywood when you're um, doing your award show. But like the BSC ones, and I have to say, like, and now like super cool. Like they, we've we've got them. You know, uh, Chris Ross, the current president, uh, has got them firing all cylinders and things, and they're pretty glitzy. But yeah, they're both really fun organizations. Yeah. Does uh, obviously it's as you said, like a point of personal pride for sure. But does, um, does it help you work wise? You know, this is half creative, half, uh, artistic in this industry. Like do, yeah, do people see the letters and get excited? I think it's, um, yeah, it's hard to say cause it's hard to sort of track the implication it's had. I, I mean, I felt like initially it's, uh, it's something that probably matters more to, to us nerds. Like mm. it, it's a bit inside baseball and it matters less to, um, producer sort of yeah maybe i think that probably as um i started sort of being put up for these bigger shows the biggest streamer shows the budget stuff and i think it probably 
you know, who, who's to say? I think I can imagine it. It may be an extra point in your favor when you're being considered by an Apple or Netflix or something for a big show. Um, you know, they, 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 as I say, they, they can have whoever they want. So they want to make sure they're getting the best. So it's nice to feel like there's a stamp of approval from my, my peers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we've got, we've got a little bit over, but, uh, so we'll let you go. I mean, but, so, all right. I'll see you there. It's lovely to check out. I look forward to listening to your show a bit more now. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Take it easy. Bye. Later, buddy. Frame and Reference is an Owlbot production. It's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. If you'd like to support the podcast directly, you can go to frameandrefpod.com and follow the link to buy me a coffee. It's always appreciated. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>